Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth, and as per our usual arrangement, I'm here with Mike Grimes. How's it going, Mike? It's going great. Mike, I know we shouldn't talk about food every time, but <laughs> given that I've had it up to my eyeballs in the wackadoodle nature of theonomy uh, and the fact that Lent is over, yeah. I went today to eat seafood. You did. Uh, because fish on Fridays, as long as Lent's over, allows me to feel like a Protestant. <laughs> and at the same time, I wanted to make sure I ate shrimp um, in honor of not being a theonomist. So. That's- did you have anything fun for lunch today? No, I didn't. You know what's funny? After the last episode, I was thinking, man, I had to have had something more exciting to eat or something more, you know, kind of exotic than alligator or frog. Yes. And I thought of it. I have had iguana. No. I've eaten iguana. See, that might make me yes. a theonomist because I don't think anybody should have iguana. I've eaten iguana you... on two occasions. In South America or no, where? No, so I was in the Netherlands Antilles on an island called Bonaire. Wait a second. <laughs> I kid you not. Are you speaking in tongues? No. Okay, say it slower. Bonaire. I've Bonaire. heard Bonaire. Yes. Okay. So in the Netherlands Antilles, it's just off the coast of Venezuela okay. in South America. Okay. There are the ABC Islands. Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. They're well known for the hot spot for scuba diving. And so the previous church I was at, we supported a missionary on the island of Bonaire. The scuba missionary. The scuba missionary. And we did go scuba diving while we were there. But on both trips that I went to Bonaire, we ate iguana. Eating barbecued iguana. <laughs> what song is that from? I'm on a Mexican. Whoa. You know, I don't radio. know. Of course, I don't know. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix? No. no, that was the other one. <laughs> Pop culture. <laughs> Who was it? A oh, wall of voodoo. I've never even heard of it. Okay. Never they, heard of it. All right. Well, you know what? Iguana. I think that's street cred. Yeah. That, that's major street, street cred. Well, today we are going to move on into chapter six of Machen's book, Christianity and Liberalism. And we may have said the wrong chapter last time, but it's all chaos and confusion uh, because of the numbering system. So this is the chapter on salvation, uh, Christianity and liberalism. If you're just tuning in, uh, Jay Gresham Machen wrote this classic book uh, roughly a hundred years ago, and he's contrasting biblical Christianity with other religions that claim Christian verbiage, claim to be Christian, but really he's saying there's only one Christianity, and it believes in the supernatural, substitutionary atonement, bodily resurrection, that the Bible is God's uh, word. And if you'd like to have a different religion, that's fine, but don't call it Christian. So there's Christianity and progressivism, if you will, or liberalism, Mm -hmm. but really they're two different religions. They're not the same. And we find it to be such a helpful book because... There's nothing new under the sun, and these sorts of things just seem to resurface uh, in our generation and other generations. And so we really appreciate Jay Gresham Machen for this book. Today we're talking about salvation. But before we do that, and before we dive into this chapter, we do have some housekeeping items, I think, to take care of. Uh, we did have a bit of a contest, yes, and I think we have a winner. We do have a winner. So last episode, if you listened to it, you'll remember at the end we had our first ever Pactum trivia. And this trivia question was, what two institutions did Machen say that Germany needed the most? And our winner was Shay Carter from Huntersville, North Carolina. So Shay, you got it right. 
And Pat, do you want to tell us what the answer is and a little bit of background there on that? Sure. Congratulations for winning. Uh, there were some other right answers, but Shay got to it first. So nice work uh, channeling your inner warrior child. Yes. <laughs> so the two things that Machen thought Germany needed most were number one, the Sabbath, yes. and number two, American, American football. football. So those are the two things that they needed. But the context is rather interesting. In Ned Stonehouse's biography of Machen, he's describing Machen studying in Germany as a student there and getting involved and socializing and being invited to a duel. <laughs> so apparently this was a thing. Machen, who was not really a fan of the dueling, apparently, says, altogether, the custom seems to me to give the maximum of discomfort with a minimum of fun. <laughs> so... They needed themselves some American football. Yes, so, awesome. And the prize is a copy of J. Gresham Machen's book, The Christian View of Man. It's a great book. Uh, we went down and picked it up in our bookstore, and I brought it home so that J. Gresham himself could <laughs> autograph it because our promise last week was we have a family connection, and there would be an autograph by John Gresham himself. Yep. And so my son, whose name is John Gresham Abendroth, <laughs> named after the author of Christianity and Liberalism, uh, did in fact autograph it. And so we'll send you a copy. <laughs> it really is a great book. If you're disappointed that it's not signed by the author of the same name, we're sorry. So let's go ahead and dive right into our chapter for this episode, and that was chapter 6 on salvation from the book Christianity and Liberalism by J. Gresham Machen. And it's a longer chapter, and there is a little bit of redundancy, some things that have already been covered or talked about, but it is great and it was fantastic and full of excellent things we can discuss and talk about here on the episode today. Uh, we are going to be looking at the chapter on salvation and kind of talking about it in um, 11 different emphases on salvation. Yes, Mike, I'm not one to criticize the good doctor. Um, I'm a big fan. But at the same time, if there's one thing I would like to change about the book, I think it would be to have this chapter be divided into two. Sure. Because there really is so much. Yes, there is. So in an effort to make it a little bit more palatable, we are going to divide it up into 11 different emphases or points of emphasis. And that will allow us to continue to have a conversation right. about some of the topics that come up. Again, as you said, Mike, there are some of these things that he's already addressed. Right. So we'll move through some of them rather quickly. Yeah, so let's dive into the first one, and the first emphasis on salvation that we see in this chapter is that of Pelagianism. He doesn't use the word, I don't think, in the chapter, but that's a great catch-all label for what he's emphasizing or addressing. Pelagianism would be the perspective of salvation uh, that would say you don't really need a Savior, right. uh, you can do it yourself. And Machen says that in theological liberalism or progressivism, salvation ends up being the work of man, yeah. not the work of God. And he even alludes to the fact that maybe they don't even want to talk about salvation. Right. But sometimes they might because it's still Christianese and they like to use our language. But really, it ends up being a self-saving kind of enterprise. He says it's an entirely different account of the way of salvation. So maybe we need some education, maybe we need some help, we need some self-improvement, uh, but what we don't need is substitutionary atonement, right. what we don't need is imputation, what we don't need is reconciliation or uh, anything like that. 
And by way of contrast, when we're talking about biblical Christianity, Machen says that Christ is our Savior by what he did, and then he says, not because he has inspired us to live the same kind of life that he lived, but because he took upon himself the dreadful guilt of our sins and bore it instead of us on the cross. So not a self-help type of salvation that some might advocate for, liberals and progressives, but it's Christ who saves us because of what he did by taking our sin upon himself on the cross. Addressing Pelagianism, the heresy that it is, and uh, we need to see it for what it is. Do we need a Savior or do we need an example? Obviously, it's that we need a Savior. Another emphasis that he covers in this chapter is the emphasis on atonement. I think I've mentioned atonement already multiple times in the episode, at least a couple of times. And this is something that progressives seem to despise. Yes. Uh, They seem to be so nice in their progressive nature, and they're so liberal and thoughtful and caring. Oh, but oh boy. Uh, start talking about atonement, uh, and they they show their teeth. Yes. They don't seem to be very progressive at all, or or very friendly at all. And Machen actually addresses this, and he's in essence naming names because he even quotes uh, his arch nemesis, if you will, Harry Emerson Fosdick. Mm. He says they progressives, theological liberals, they speak with disgust of those who believe, and now he quotes Fosdick, that the blood of our Lord shed in a substitutionary death placates an alienated deity and makes possible welcome for the returning sinner. They seem to despise this idea of God being angry, therefore needing to be appeased, uh, therefore needing to have his uh, wrath turned aside. And yet the Bible teaches that Christ died for our sins, uh, and that is wrath-satisfying. Yeah. He is the propitiation for our sins, First John says, uh, sometimes translated atonement. Uh, it means satisfaction. So it is true. God is angry. He's angry every day with sin, the psalmist says. And Machen is stressing that reality that is absolutely contrary to theological liberalism. Uh, propitiation, satisfying, just anger. Uh, and he addresses that in a good and robust way. Yeah. And interesting how when Machen's talking about this, he's saying, it's not that this is a difficult doctrine to understand. He says, it is not the Bible doctrine of the atonement, which is difficult to understand. What are really incomprehensible are the elaborate modern efforts to get rid of the Bible doctrine in the interests of human pride. I like that. That's helpful. All of this reminds me of the sort of classic Mark Twain comment where he says, it's not the stuff in the Bible that's unclear that bothers me. It's the stuff that's clear that bothers me. This would be just such an example. One of the ugliest ways this unbiblical antagonistic animosity against the Bible and the glorious reality of Christ atoning sacrifice shows itself in our day would be from someone like Brian McLaren. Brian McLaren was considered by Time Magazine not too long ago as a top 25 most influential evangelical in America. It's McLaren who said something to the effect that substitutionary atonement is cosmic child abuse. Hmm. And I um, think that is a horrific statement. It's blasphemous and wrong on lots of levels, but it does tell us 
that this sort of opposition that Fosdick was posing back in Machen's day uh, is also being posed in our day. Yeah. It most definitely is not cosmic child abuse. We have to remember that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Yeah. Uh, and so it's overly simplistic. It's not, it doesn't have integrity to say such things. Uh, and so when McLaren writes a book called A Generous Orthodoxy, he's neither generous nor orthodox. When he writes a book called A New Kind of Christianity, it's not a new kind of Christianity at all. It's actually an old kind of theological liberalism. And yet people seem to love him so mm-hmm. um, unfortunate, sad, blasphemous. We could go on and yeah. on. Uh, but this sort of thing is, in fact, alive and well. Yeah, absolutely it is. Well, let's move on to our next emphasis on salvation in the chapter, and that is of history. This is something that we've already seen, and he's bringing it up again, how significant it is that Christianity is dependent upon history. And so, again, outside of the city gates on a Friday afternoon Mm -hmm. in the Middle East, Christ died for our sins, real time, real space. And with regard to the objection that comes from theological liberals, that it's not actually a historic event, it's some sort of mysticism, it's some sort of thing that happens in us, in our feelings, or something like that, Machen says, with regard to this objection, it should be observed that if religion be made independent of history, there is no such thing as the gospel. Mm. And the reason he does that is he goes on to say, because the gospel means good news, tidings, information about something that happened. A gospel independent of history is a contradiction in terms. Mm. And that's where I think Machen is hitting his stride. It, It is to the point, clear, reasonable, and orthodox. Yeah. And we see Machen emphasizing the fact that if we don't have the gospel as a historical fact, something that actually did happen, then when theological liberals still want to use the Bible, and they still want to sound like Christians and use Christianese talk, then they're kind of left with, well, we've got to go back to this timeless truths thing and use exhortation and kind exactly. of encourage and get people exactly. to do good and to try harder and uh, follow Christ's example that he left for us. Machen says that the liberal preacher offers us exhortation, which he goes on to say is very different from the message of the Christian evangelist, which is not exhortation, but a gospel, a good news. So it is fascinating to see that when we lose sight of the historicity of Christianity, we'll lose sight of proclaiming good tidings, good mm-hmm. news of an event, and what we end up being left with is a form of legalism. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's legalism light with kindness, but it's still legalism, yeah. and it still leads to despair. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's continue on, and let's look at our fourth emphases of salvation, and that is exclusivity. So which do theological liberals hate worse? Do they hate substitutionary atonement, I wonder, or do they hate the exclusivity of the claims of Christ, of the claims of Christianity? I'm not sure. Maybe that should be our next contest. We could do that. We we should do a survey to find out uh, what triggers theological liberals more. Uh, Maybe we'll send uh, some representatives to the United Methodist Church down the street or the liberal Presbyterian Church (laughs) or who knows, maybe the Bible churches and find out uh, which is more offensive to you. The fact that there's only one way to heaven, that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, or the fact that God is angry with sin every day. 
we'll have a trigger meter. We'll see <laughs> which one leads to more redness of the face. Yes. That's Perhaps great. we could do that. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this one other than to encourage um, our listeners with the fact that God is one, Deuteronomy chapter six, and so there aren't many true gods in the world. And not only is God one, God has one son and one way of dealing with our sins. There's one mediator, uh, and God chose to love the world in a particular way, yeah. not however we want him to. Yeah. Uh, even John 3.16, which is so inclusive uh, in some ways, <laughs> yeah. is very particular. It is very exclusive. Uh, that the only way to have eternal life is to believe in God's one true, unique son. And it you can't fault it for being irrational or illogical, but you can be offended by it as theological liberals are, though I wish they wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Salvation is through Christ and only through Christ. Yeah. Which is why the Great Commission makes sense. In Matthew 28, we go to all nations, all peoples, all ethnos, because everyone is in need of salvation, and there's only one way to be saved. So if we move on to the next point of conflict, point of offense that we want to emphasize that's emphasized in this chapter, and that would be on the reality of substitution. Mm. This relates to, to atonement, which we've already spoken about. And Machen offers some interesting insights about this. He doesn't develop the argument very much, but I would like to remind everyone that God used Adam as a representative of the entire human race, according to Romans five. And that's the way God has chosen to deal with the human race. And it's God's prerogative. If he wants to work through representation, federal headship, we would say, then it's certainly God's prerogative because it's God's creation. And so given the fact that there is a last Adam or a second Adam, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he represents all those who would ever believe in him, according to Romans 5. So let's let God be God and move on to a sixth point of emphasis. Yeah. And here in the sixth point of emphasis, we see a little confusion about the cross. And here, the progressives or the liberals would be highlighting a different kind of cross. So they are talking about the cross. They celebrate the cross. They sing about the cross. There are sermons about the cross. But Machen makes the point that just because people talk about the cross, just because, again, they're using our lingo because they they have certain feelings of sentimentality Mm -hmm. or something like that, it doesn't necessarily mean they are emphasizing the Christian cross, the substitutionary atonement on the cross, as we've been talking about, representation, as we've been talking about, they may actually mean something entirely different. Right. And and Machen actually even moves into your lane, Mike. He does. And he is criticizing even Christian songs uh, because some of them don't put the emphasis in the right area. Yeah, he goes after the hymn, Nearer My God to Thee, and uh, he's talking about the hymn and says, listen, it's a perfectly good hymn, but the emphasis may be in the wrong place. And so here he's talking about, near my God to thee, near to thee, even though it be a cross that raiseth me. He says, many persons have the impression because the word cross is found in the hymn, that there is something specifically Christian about it, and that it has something to do with the gospel. This impression is entirely false. In fact, he does talk about the Titanic and says, they should have picked a different song. He's being culturally relevant talking about Titanic. He went to movies. He went to Can movies. Can you believe it? Celine Dion should have sang a different song <laughs> when the Titanic was Do you think he's down. going overboard here, or do you think he actually has a point to make? <laughs> Dad jokes. Boom. Oh, I actually didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> 
So as we come to the next point of emphasis, it's number seven on our list, if you're keeping track, and that would be the doctrine of God. This one's rather easy to understand when it comes to theological liberalism. Their doctrine of God ends up looking a lot like a grandfather. Looks, uh, no, no offense to grandfathers. Uh, looks a lot like someone who we would want to have as our grandfather, who always accepts us, who is good with anything that we would ever think or do, maybe is a little slow and senile that we can take advantage of. Mm. Um, and, the fact of the matter is he's a God of our own making and our own likeness, yeah. but he's not really a God who could save us. He's not a God who is mighty to save or, or anything like that. Uh, he's not going to deal with sin. This God's heaven is probably filled with sin yeah. because he's okay with everything. Yeah. So it ends up kind of blowing up in your face, really. Uh, if Machen were alive today, uh, perhaps he would quote Oprah. Uh, because Oprah would say, well, I believe in God. I've heard her say this before. Uh, I believe in God because God is love, and therefore love is God. Mm. And so, of course, I believe in God, as she makes fun of the Christian God right. who's jealous. Yeah. And the reality is uh, God is love. The Bible teaches that, but that's not the same as saying that love is God. Mm. That would be idolatrous. Yeah. Machen says, all the teaching of Jesus presupposes a divine indignation or anger against sin. Mm. With what possible right, then, can those who reject this vital element in Jesus' teaching and example regard themselves as true disciples of his? Implied answer is you actually can't. Right. And then Machen says, the truth is that the modern rejection of the doctrine of God's wrath proceeds from a light view of sin, which is totally at variance or at odds with the teaching of the whole. And that certainly is correct. If you're going to be a Christian, you believe the Bible is true. God absolutely is upset with sin. He should be. He's a just God, and sin is a violation against his commandments. And so it has to be dealt with. Right. And the, he, he talks about how a lot of this trouble comes with the liberals' view of sin and how they take it so lightly and it's not such a big deal. Uh, he says that the, object, the objection depends, of course, upon the liberal view of sin. If sin is so trifling a matter as the liberal church supposes, then indeed the curse of God's law can be taken very lightly, and God can easily let bygones be bygones. I think it's hard to talk about sin in our culture. Yeah. I recall D.A. Carson saying it's a snicker word in our culture. Mm -hmm. We kind of make fun of people who talk about sin because it's something we actually don't believe in anymore. Yeah. So I, I'll be honest and say I struggle with talking about sin even as a preacher because I am burdened for sinners and I'm wanting them to understand that they are violator of, mm. violators of God's commandments. Uh, so I preach about sin all the time, uh, but it is challenging to try to be serious and thoughtful and, and to be earnest in trying to communicate with people so that they might see that they are in fact sinners guilty and that God is not okay with anything. It's not that anything goes. Yeah. And if I were to offer some advice or exhortation uh, to listeners, I would, I would say, try to get good at this. Hmm. Uh, when I'm teaching a preaching class or helping train teachers, and I'll do it now for our listening audience, because we are all ambassadors, hmm. I would work hard at being able to clearly and thoughtfully uh, be able to communicate the reality of sin. Yeah. Sin is lawlessness. What does the law require? God's law can be summarized as love God and love neighbor. And I'm just going through it rather quickly. But in all earnestness, I think it's something we as Christians, 
had better be able to do in a way that reflects what the Bible actually teaches so that people can see their need for Christ and see Christ for who he is. Hmm. Yeah. Let's continue moving on to our eighth emphasis of the chapter, and that is an emphasis on regeneration. Machen says that this is one of the most despised realities hmm. of his day, hmm. and that is that you must be born again. Yeah. So, Mike, why do you suppose Machen would have said it was so despised, the reality of being born again, the, the reality of needing to be regenerated? Well, if you need to be born again, that means you're not alive. You don't uh, have really a problem that needs to be dealt with. And so to be emphasizing regeneration and the need for new birth, a new heart, uh, says you have a problem. And we don't like to hear that we have a problem. We don't like to hear of the reality of sin. Especially if being born again means you're spiritually dead. Yeah, right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 would would be the emphasis here. One of our family friends, uh, when I was growing up, would say to my mother, who was a Christian, you're not one of those born-agains, are you? And then he would make fun of her for being a born again, when in reality, a born again Christian is just a point of repetition, Uh, because there's no such thing as a Christian who's not born again. Uh, I think he meant something more by that. But in reality, uh, Christianity is all about being a born again. We're dead in trespasses and sins, and God makes us alive together with him, it teaches in Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah. Billy Graham wrote a book once upon a time called How to Be Born Again. Ooh. I wonder what Jay Gresham Machen would have thought about a book on how to be born again. Yeah. You think he would give it five stars or <laughs> one star? I'm guessing one star. Probably one star, given the fact that in John chapter 3, we're not told how to be born right. again. We're told that we must be we born must, again, yep. but that's actually a work of the Spirit yes. who sovereignly, mysteriously, sort of like the wind, yep. according to Jesus, works. Since we're on the topic, R.C. Sproul would say that the most basic aspect of Reformed theology is the fact that regeneration comes before faith. And so I realize that may have just triggered some of our Arminian listeners, uh, but we want you to know that you're welcome to keep listening. We're glad you're listening. (laughs) Yes, we are. Uh, But when you're dead, you must be made alive. Yes before you do anything. And so the reality is uh, the fruit of regeneration ends up being faith. And we're thankful that the Lord makes us alive together with him. Right. And that does lead us to our ninth emphasis in the chapter. You're smooth. And that is faith. He wrote a book called What is Faith? He did. What do you think he says in that book, Mike? Faith is trust in the object of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is trust in the object. I like that. Um, and Machen would definitely put a stress and emphasis on the fact that it matters what you believe. Mm. It's not just that you believe it's content, it's objectivity. He says it makes no difference. What is believe we are told by the theological liberals, which is malarkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Machen ever used the word malarkey. I don't even know what it means. Hey Siri, what does malarkey mean? Malarkey is an informal term. It means... Meaningless talk nonsense. All right, you heard it there. You have it on good authority. Uh, The pastor did not use inappropriate language. Uh, Siri affirms. And where two or three... (laughs) Never mind. Faith, object of faith. 
faith is only as good as its object or something to those lines. Theological liberalism wants to say, just believe, believe in yourself, believe in someone else. Uh, But whatever it is, it can't be believe in something dogmatic, believe in something that's settled, believe in something that's historic. But the fact of the matter is Jesus says, believe in me. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And all of that's tied to doctrine. It's tied to reality. It's tied to objectivity because he and he alone is the perfect one. He and he alone will be raised from the dead. He and he alone will make atonement. Uh, Yes, what you believe matters, not just that you do believe. Yeah. Machen says, faith is being exalted so high today that men are being satisfied with any kind of faith, just so it is faith. It makes no difference what is believed, we are told, just so the blessed attitude of faith is there. The undogmatic faith, it is said, is better than the dogmatic because it is purer faith, faith less weakened by the alloy of knowledge. Mike, I think I've read Christianity and liberalism now Probably four times. I I don't recall. I've read it a bunch of times. Uh, I am a slow learner, but I do love the book. Uh, I I love Jay Gresham Machen. Uh, I'm a bit of a fanboy. We're putting a lot of emphasis on him. Uh, But really, one big takeaway for me that's lasted all of these years uh, is this matter of faith, Mm. that you must not only believe, you must believe in something that is true. You must believe in the person of Christ. And again, back to that point, faith is only as good as its object. Mm. And so if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then what good is it in believing in him? It doesn't make any sense. If he was just a good moral teacher, supposedly, uh, it wouldn't make any sense. But if he's raised from the dead bodily on behalf of those he represents, believe in him. Mm. If for nothing else, I love Machen for that emphasis and that clarity, and it's really stuck with me. Mm. So since you're talking about loving Machen so much, I do I do have a bit of an off-the-wall question. Do you think Machen would love our church? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really... I, I laugh and <laughs> ponder because that's actually an intriguing question, because in one sense, I think Machen would not love our church. Mm. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of, of Luther, Luther, you know, we talk about Martin Luther and, uh, we quote him about justification, the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Right. And we, we, we like him. And in reality, perhaps he would have us arrested because <laughs> we don't agree with him on right. his baptism views. Right. So it's one thing to esteem someone, um, but it's not always reciprocal. Right. Would Jay Gresham Machen love our church? I don't think he would actually, um, I hope he would respect the fact that we are a confessional church, yep. and so we're not biblicists. We seek not to do that and act like we're the first Christians. Yep. Uh, we want to affirm a historic Protestant confession, and Machen definitely was confessional in his emphasis and his teaching and convictions. And in the next chapter, the last chapter, he is going to talk about the doctrine of the church, and I think it'll be relevant for that. So I'm hoping uh, Machen would respect our church as a confessional Protestant church, uh, but he wouldn't want to become a member here yeah. because he was confessionally a Presbyterian. Right. 
and so hopefully we could go, we could go on vacation and have lunch together, eat and, the oranges, and eat eat the oranges, <laughs> um, and watch the other men smoke the cigars. Yes. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, maybe justice would be served because I'm quite certain I would be faster than him on a bicycle. <laughs> so maybe I would just I would let him draft off of me there or something go. as long as he would allow me uh, to be his friend. It would be an honor to have him draft off of your bike, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. I, I think. It is it is a fascinating thing to consider, though, that people don't have to be exactly like us for us to love them and appreciate them. Sure, yeah. Since we're way off in the weeds now, it reminds me of Carl Truman's biography of Luther, hmm. where he, as I recall, makes fun because that's what Carl Truman does. <laughs> he makes fun of everyone, including himself in a good um, British way. But he he makes fun of evangelicals for making people who are not evangelical like Luther and evangelical mm. in order to like anything about them. Sure. And so instead it would be better if we said we really appreciate certain things about certain people, but they don't have, we don't have to do revisionist history yeah. to make them exactly like us to appreciate what it is they believed and did. Mm. Maybe another example would be with um, Bonhoeffer. Mm. So Bonhoeffer uh, was not a Christian. He didn't believe in the supernatural. He didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so let's appreciate the fact that he was brave mm -hmm. and stood up for some right things, right. but let's not make him an evangelical right. as the biographers do, because in fact he wasn't, he was an enemy of the gospel in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So would Machen like us? I think it's a complicated question. It is complicated. Uh, I think he would, uh, but he wouldn't want to be one of us. And hopefully we could still be friends. Yeah. Well, getting back to the script, uh, let's go to number 10 when it comes to emphases. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about Machen and missions. Mike, in November of 1932, a book entitled Rethinking Missions was issued. Uh, and in that book... Um, what we see is the theological agenda of liberalism uh, really goes after anything that we would think of as traditional missions. Right. And so uh, Machen opposes this. He writes a 110-page booklet about this, confronting it, and it was no small conflict yeah. and led to great heartache and difficulty in Machen's life. Uh, but since we're not getting into the details, the bottom line is Machen believed the gospel. Machen believed in sin. Machen believed you had to believe in Jesus. Yeah. And that's what missionaries do. They promote the good news of salvation in Christ. Yeah. Whereas in theological liberalism uh, of the day, what was being accepted and what was being promoted as legitimate missions uh, would be go to other people and see that there are many paths to God yep. and let's maybe help them. Let's do social change, uh, but they don't need to repent and believe. Right. Yep. And so it, it was a bunch of nonsense, but it was no small thing promoted by very popular people in Machen's day, people who had great, great platforms, people like Pearl Buck, a Nobel prize winner for literature. She had a microphone. She had a platform. Yep. Uh, someone has likened her to uh, Oprah's book club uh, of about a hundred years ago. Mm, yeah. So it made Machen really look bad, but he was actually the one who was defending and promoting biblical Christianity. Yeah. And last but not least, our final point of emphasis would be on application. Machen addresses the matter of Christians, theological liberals in particular. Uh, they don't want doctrine. They don't want theology. Don't give us sermons about Christ and his glorious work on our behalf. Uh, instead, we want 
application. Give us more application. Tell us how to live our lives. Teach us about parenting. Going back to the matter of give us timeless truths. And Machen calls it out for what it is. That's theological liberalism. And he even makes the point that if we don't have a Christianity, which is doctrinal, which has to do with history, which has to do with what Christ did. Yeah. Uh, if we don't actually have Christianity, which theological liberalism doesn't have, then there is no Christianity to apply. And Machen says, that is where the Christian man differs from the modern liberal. The liberal believes that applied Christianity is all there is of Christianity, Christianity being merely a way of life. The Christian man believes that applied Christianity is the result of an initial act of God. And that initial act of God is he makes us alive. Christ died for our sins. Uh, These doctrinal things end up providing for us the very sum and substance of Christianity. And if we don't have that, there actually is no application and it doesn't make any sense. So if you need an assignment and something you would like to do and apply (laughs) from this, uh, my assignment to listeners would be go to your pastor and ask your pastor to give you less application in the sermons and Mm. tell you more about who God is and what he has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ, and why that can give you assurance in the here and now and allow you to face any of the challenges of life. How about that, Mike? That would be fantastic. Please, Pastor, or Pastor, let me, let me, I want to tell you, Pastor, I'm praying for you that you would give us less application uh, that's not found in the Bible anyway, and you Mm. would tell us more and more about the glories that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us here today. We'll wrap up next week with a final chapter on the church. We'll see you then on The Pactum.